20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is up, Packer fans? Happy Sunday. Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Appreciate you guys being here. Also, appreciate all the kind words over on YouTube yesterday. Uh, obviously, the return yesterday from a week long illness, and you guys were super, super kind in the comments. So, uh, appreciate it. And you guys are the absolute best. Love this community that we've built together, and just cannot thank you enough for making the Pack a Day Podcast part of your daily life and all of your support over the past. Five years, basically, and some of you probably even beyond that from just reading some of my early work and things like that. So always, always, always appreciate all of your support. And speaking of which, shout out to Al Ryder, new Packaday Podcast YouTube member. If you have not yet checked out Packaday Podcast YouTube memberships, well, now is a perfect time to do so. We have an epic off season coming up, going to be an interesting free agency. Packers have some decisions to make on their own roster that should be extremely interesting and intriguing. And then of course, you've got a draft, which is you know basically the lifeblood of the Packers. And we're going to go into that in great detail. And Ross Uglum's already doing an amazing job with that. So just subscribe, like, comment, and check out those memberships, and it would be greatly appreciated. But enough about that. Let's jump right into our main topic for today, and that is Packers off-season fact or fiction. I've seen, and I've heard, and I've observed some of these statements and comments swirling about the Packers' fear, about what the Packers can and can't do, should and shouldn't do. And boy, let me tell you, I've got some takes to counter some of the takes that are out there. So we have eight statements today that I am going to tell you whether they are fact or whether they are fiction. And let's start off with number one, which most recently I saw from our good friend, Justice Mosqueda. And I wanted to do this today because Justice, as of right now, is set to be on tomorrow's episode. So I wanted to get a jump on him and attack him before he had the opportunity to defend himself like the gentleman that I am. So... I've seen this. I think he posted something to the extent of who's out there spewing the incorrect, you know, thought that the Packers uh, need a cornerback this offseason, something to that extent. And knowing justice, I don't know his level of sincerity on it or if he's just sort of, you know, stirring the pot a little bit. We'll talk to him tomorrow on that. But the statement here is that cornerback is not a top priority for the Packers this offseason. So I'll say it one more time. Cornerback is not a top priority for the Packers this offseason. And to that, I say fiction, extreme, extreme fiction. Let's start with the Packers roster as is. Keyshawn Nixon and Corey Ballantyne are both unrestricted free agents, which of course means that they are free to sign anywhere else. Could Green Bay get a deal done with either of them before the start of free agency? Sure. Is it possible? Yes. Do I think that even changes all that much? I don't. But as of right now, they are both unrestricted free agents. Robert Rochelle is a restricted free agent. And you might think, wow, that's nice. All right, Green Bay has some flexibility there. He's a restricted free agent. Guess what? That that cost for a restricted free agent will not be anything that the Packers entertain for Robert Rochelle. So he effectively also becomes an unrestricted free agent. So Ballantyne, Nixon, and Rochelle, all unrestricted free agents. Pop quiz. Who are the five corners, true corners, that are under contract on the Packers roster right now? Can you name the five? I can probably guarantee you can name three of them. Can you name the other two? If you can, kudos, by the way. Jair Alexander, Carrington Valentine, Eric Stokes, 
Anthony Johnson, not Anthony Johnson Jr., the safety, Anthony Johnson, the cornerback, and Zion Gilbert. If you got all five, like I said, tip of the cap to you, impressive, well done. But those are the only five corners under contract for your Green Bay Packers as we sit here right now today. Jair Alexander, Carrington Valentine, Eric Stokes, Anthony Johnson, and Zion Gilbert. Let's just analyze that in and of itself. Let's just hypothetically say that the Packers actually felt really good about Anthony Johnson and Zion Gilbert being the number four and the number five. Even if that were the case, even if that were the case, Green Bay has only five corners under contract on their roster. So just inherently, just inherently, they need more bodies at that position. Now take under consideration the fact that Anthony Johnson and Zion Gilbert are probably not in the Packers' legitimate cornerback plans at all, meaning you have only Jair Alexander, Carrington Valentine, and Eric Stokes under contract. Now let's go even more off of that because we know that just go back to the Super Bowl, right? If you go back to the Super Bowl and watch McDuffie for the Chiefs, Trent McDuffie, and watch how important he was, slot corner is not this just gimmicky position that you can throw a random player at. We need to be past the Chandon Sullivans and the Keyshawn Nixons and those type of just, hey, we'll just plug a guy in there and it's going to be fun. No, we are well past that. You need a legitimate dude in that position. I'm not saying you need Charles Woodson again, because those come along once in a lifetime, but you need a very good slot player because that is a legitimate starting role in today's NFL. You can't just hide someone there. In fact, it is one of the most important positions on defense, in my opinion. So gone are the days of just plugging a random player in there and fingers crossed, let's hope for the best. That's not going to work. And you legitimately do not have a true slot corner on the roster as we speak. Let's go through that. Eric Stokes is clearly a boundary corner. No question about it. He is not a slot dude. He does not have the hips. He does not have the agility. That is not his position. He is an outside corner through and through. Jair, I would like to see play more in the slot on obvious passing downs. I've talked about this on numerous occasions in the past. However, you cannot play him there on early downs because he's just not able to hold up uh, to the you know the wear and tear that he's going to have to go through in a full regular season, having to take on tight ends and fullbacks and you know make aggressive physical plays. His shoulder is not going to hold up, so you don't want him there as a full time slot guy. Also, you would love the ability to move Jair around on the opposing team's best wide receiver. If that's Justin Jefferson or Amon Ross St. Brown and they're in the slot, great. Jair can play there in the slot on obvious passing downs. But if Justin Jefferson or Amon Ross St. Brown or Jamar Chase or whomever else they may be going against is on the outside, you would ideally like Jair to be able to shadow that wide receiver to that side of the field and not have to play him in the slot. So you don't want him for a variety of reasons as your primary slot. Now that brings us to Carrington Valentine. I do think that Carrington Valentine has the potential to play some in the slot, but probably also only on obvious passing downs. I also think he's a better true outside corner than he is in the slot. And his tackling issues are a major problem and are going to get even more, you know, brought more attention to as he's playing in the slot, even more than what they are right now on him playing on the outside. So I don't think that that is a perfect fit either. 
So inherently, just the way that this roster is set up right now, you have a major hole at that slot corner position. And like I said, that is a starting position. So that is a need. Now, that need theoretically could be filled by a Keyshawn Nixon again. They could re-sign him and put him back in that spot. Do I think that that is the best thing that they could do? No. I don't think that Keyshawn Nixon is a starting caliber slot corner in this league. And listen, Keyshawn Nixon has proved a ton of people wrong on a variety of different occasions. I just don't feel like that is a ultimate skill set for him to reach that level of legitimate, really good starting slot corner. And I would like to see Green Bay reach for something better than what they saw a season ago with Keyshawn playing in the slot. I just don't think it's good enough. So that is a need. That is a legitimate big time need. And then I want to go even further beyond that because you have a need at slot, but now who are your other three corners? You've got Jair Alexander, you've got Carrington Valentine, and you've got Eric Stokes. Again, Anthony Johnson and Zion Gilbert, it's great that they're on the roster. You're not making any off-season roster decisions based on those two roster spots right now. You're just not. So you have three legitimate corners on the roster. Let's start with Eric Stokes. Eric Stokes has played 29 of the last 54 games. 29 of the last 54. He played 17 out of 18 his rookie season, but 29 of the last 54, that's 53.5%. In his last 36 games over the last two seasons for Green Bay, he's played 12 of 36 games, 33.3%. And in the Packers' last 27 games, he's played in three of them, one of which he only played on special teams and re-injured himself immediately. He's played three of the last 27 games, one of which was only on special teams and he re-injured himself. The other two games that he played in that 27-game stretch, he looked not great. In the 12 games of the last 36 over the past two seasons, even prior to the slew of injuries he's had over the past two seasons, in year two, he looked really bad. Nothing like he did in his rookie season. So you are going back to rookie year 2021, where Stokes looked fine to solid as a rookie. There were flaws in his game as a rookie, but he also made a lot of good plays. He was thrown into basically a number one corner spot as a rookie, and he held up fine. Since then, it's only gotten worse, and injuries have potentially sapped him of his high-end potential. We don't know what to expect from Eric Stokes. So to just assume that Stokes has any role on this team would in my part be, or in my opinion, be malpractice going into next year. There's a chance that 4-2-4-3-40 Eric Stokes is just gone. And maybe he's like a 4-4-8 guy. Maybe he's a 4-6-1 guy. We just don't know. But his superpower was his insane speed on the outside. I always go back to that Jamar Chase play where Jamar Chase just nukes him off the line. But guess what? The ball is slightly underthrown and Stokes runs a 4-2-40. So Stokes, you know, basically does his flash routine and just gets back there, knocks away the, the pass. And it's a big play for Green Bay and a great pass breakup. But was it good coverage? No. Was it good technique? No. And that's the Eric Stokes story. He's physical enough. He's fast enough, but he's not technically sound. And he's not a just great pure cover corner. His hips aren't super oily. He's not going to be the guy that sticks with the most fundamentally sound wide receivers. And unless he totally reinvents himself as a corner or just gets his 4-2-40 speed back, which by the way, he had early in his second season when he struggled mightily to start that season, you have, you have a corner that I don't think you can trust as just like, yep, he's going to be one of the starting outside corners. 
I don't even think you trust him as like your number three or four going into the year. One, because of injury concerns, and two, just because he hasn't played well. He has to be a player that you consider a, we're going to keep on the roster probably no matter what, because he was a former first round pick, but we're going to take it. If we get something out of it, great, but we cannot count on anything going into the year. You have to assume that you need to upgrade that spot and that Stokes is probably on his last year on the team. And if you get blown away and he plays great this season, awesome. He will be in a contract year. He will have plenty of motivation to do so. I know Green Bay is going to work extremely hard in the off season to figure out all of these soft tissue and, and, you know, leg injuries that the Christian Watsons and the Eric Stokes of the world have had, that's all good and well, but I don't think you count on Stokes just being like, yes, that's one of your key guys at corner moving forward. That brings us to Jair Alexander. Jair Alexander has only played in 30 of the last 54 games. Now I talked to you about Eric Stokes. For those of you who like are constantly getting on Christian Watson, Christian Watson's played 25 out of 37 games the past two years. That's 67.6%. And everyone is super mad that he's never healthy at 67% of the games, basically playing two out of every three games. Jair in the last three seasons has played 55.6% of the games. Eric Stokes in the last three years, 53.7, 33.3 in the last two years. So if you're frustrated with Christian Watson's availability, you should be even more frustrated. I mean, you shouldn't be frustrated because injuries are injuries, but you should be concerned that your top two, your two of your top corners in Jair and Stokes are constantly injured over the past three seasons. So while Jair is uh, in his prime and when he's playing great, a phenomenal corner, he has also had issues with injuries. The shoulder has been a major problem. He got suspended a season ago, and you're just not also sure what Jair is going to show up. Also, he's been very poor in run defense and in tackling, and that's something that you at least have to be cognizant of as well. Now, he is going to be one of the starters. They are not going to trade him. He is going to be a legit, you know, cornerback one. I think he's going to love playing in this system. I think it's going to be a great fit. But you also have to be aware that injuries and just other stuff have gone a little bit awry for Jair. He hasn't necessarily been the same guy. And at some point, you might need to start looking at, hey, that contract is really, really big and we're not getting the ROI that we would ideally like. Now, maybe Jair just has a bounce back and plays as a first team all pro again. That would be amazing. But you at least have to be aware of like, hey, at some point in the next couple of years, this might be a contract that we just want to get out of and we better have somebody ready to step in if that is in fact the case. And that brings us to Carrington Valentine. Seventh round pick, rookie, starter, had to play a ton of games, was fine. He was fine. I liked what he did as a rookie starter. But here, here's the like the one thing that we have like forgiveness for in the NFL is rookies who are playing for the first time. Go back the rookie seasons of Ladarius, especially, excuse me, um, Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins, and to some extent, you know, Ladarius Gunter as well. But as rookies, especially those top two, the the, the you know Randall and, and Rollins, we had like they had fine years. Like you were almost excited about what they were going to be going into year two based on what they did as rookies. Guess what? They were fine. Eric Stokes, you were excited about what was going to be in year two. Guess what? In year one, he was fine. He was. I would maybe he would say he was probably a little bit better than Randall and Rollins. Josh Jackson, his first year, you saw some flaws, no question, but you were excited what he was going to be able to do potentially going into year two. These things don't always translate. Carrington Valentine to me is in that fine category. He's He was fine. And if he takes a step, I think he can be a legitimate starting corner in this league. But I would be hesitant to just be like, you know what? We're set. 
at corner. You got Jair, you've got Valentine, Stokes is going to be a backup, and then we really just need to address slot. I don't think that that's good enough. And I think you want as much competition as there is, you know, as possible. I think you clearly need that slot position. And then if you want to bring back a Keyshawn Nixon, I think he's great as like a fifth or sixth corner. If you want to bring in, um, you know, I think more competition on the outside, I think that is great as well. I, I don't mind if you want to bring in like a third round corner and say uh, for outside guys and say, hey, we've got Jair, we've got Valentine, we've got a you know third round pick, and then you've got uh, Stokes. Like we'll we'll figure out a way to get by with that group, and we think we'll be okay. That I'm fine, but I want a little bit more competition. Not to mention you have that huge need in the slot. So any way that you want to look at it, especially knowing that in this new system, there's probably going to be more man coverage, more guys on an island. I think slots going to be super important in this defense. It just makes it so that corner is ultra important. One, you've only got five guys on the roster, so you just need more bodies no matter what. Two. Two of those guys of the five, you're not counting on whatsoever. Three, two of those three that you are counting on have had major injury issues and major missed games over the course of the last two to three seasons. And the other guy, Carrington Valentine, seventh round rookie was fine, but you don't necessarily want to count on either. So to me, cornerback is not a top priority, is major, major, major fiction. It is a massive need. It is a huge priority for this team and something that they have to attack aggressively. And quite frankly, Brian Gutekunst finally needs to get correct this offseason if he is going to spend major draft capital or free agent capital at that position. All right, number two, the Packers shouldn't select an offensive tackle in the first two rounds. This is a poll that Eli Berkovitz posted. It was something similar to this, but I'll just say it as the, the statement here, the Packers should not select an offensive tackle in the first two rounds. And to me, this is very, very fiction once again. And you might look at me and say, all right, well, they still have Rashid Walker and Zach Tom. That is a starting caliber offensive tackle duo for the foreseeable future. They're both young. They're both going to be here a while. They're both under team control for the next couple seasons. You're probably going to try to resign both guys. Why are you chasing another offensive tackle when you have two starters on the roster right now? I hear you to some extent. I really, really do. And some of you might be saying that also, what about David Bakhtiari? He could be coming back. If you missed the David Bakhtiari episode, I will be shocked if they do not release David Bakhtiari probably sooner rather than later. Crazier things have happened, but I would be shocked if they don't release him. If you missed that episode, go back and listen to it and you'll get the whole Bakhtiari situation, but you're going to want to check that one out. But Bakhtiari in all likelihood is going to be gone. Even if he's not, you can't count on him for anything based on the injury and what he could possibly provide to the team. You just don't know week to week if he's going to ever be available. So that is, in my opinion, just gone. It's done with. That leaves you with Zach Tom and Rasheed Walker, and you feel really good about that. I think you can feel confident going into next season that Rasheed Walker, Zach Tom are your two starting tackles and sleep well at night. But here's the thing. Yash Nyman is a free agent, all right? Bakhtiari, we just talked about. And now you've got Caleb Jones and Luke Tenuta, and I guess Kadeem Telfort to some extent as your backups. And I like Caleb Jones. I like Luke Tenuta. And maybe one of those guys can legitimately develop into a swing tackle. Maybe that's true. But here's what I will ultimately tell you. And I should note as well, they do also have Elton Jenkins who can kick out in a pinch. That's a really nice insurance policy to have. He was awful at right tackle a couple seasons ago. Now that might've been 
strictly coming off of the torn ACL, moving from left to right. Maybe he'd be much better at left tackle. Maybe he'd be fine at right tackle now. Who knows? But it's at least worth noting when he was at right tackle, he did not play well the last time he was there. And I mean, he played very bad. It's not like, oh, he just you know had a couple you know, hiccups. No, he played very, very poorly at right tackle. But that's another option that you would have in case of emergency. But here's what I will tell you. I know that Green Bay has a plethora of weapons on offense. And even if a couple guys are missing week to week, they have enough weapons on offense to put up points consistently. I know that they have a really good quarterback. I know that they have a very bright offensive mind in Matt LaFleur. And I know that if this offensive line goes out and protects Jordan Love for the next eight to 10 years, Green Bay is going to be in a great situation. We should also all know what happens to an offensive line and to a quarterback and to an offense when one of those five spots turns into Alex Light, when one of those five spots turns into Byron Bell, when one of those five spots turns into Kyle Murphy. I can go on and on if you would like, Jason Spriggs. We can continue. I don't think you want me to. When one of those spots goes bad, it can go very bad, meaning you might have to change your entire offense because you have to constantly keep in a tight end or a running back to chip meaning that the quarterback might have to constantly drop their eyes because they don't trust the protection in front of them. That is the number one way that you can sideline Jordan Love's progress is by not making sure that he has a stable offensive line in front of him at all times. Build me that offensive line, keep the depth and the competition coming, and I will promise you that that quarterback with the weapons that he has and the offense that they have put together will continue to put up points for the foreseeable future. I would rather have more offensive linemen, like draft me three more than almost anything. And I'm not saying they need three more. I totally agree with anyone that wants to make the argument that Rasheed Walker and Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, Sean Ryan and Zach Tom is going to be good enough to get through next season, but there is no guarantee that all five of those guys will stay healthy and depth is becoming a major, major issue with the potential losses this offseason of Bakhtiari likely, Yash Nyman, John Runyon Jr., Royce Newman's probably going to get released. Not that that's a major loss anyway, but you get my point. There is going to be a difference in depth and it's going to be important that not only do they replace that depth, but they create competition for guys like Josh Myers. They create competition for guys like Sean Ryan. And I would love even more competition for Rasheed Walker. The only two players, in my opinion, on that offensive line that should sleep soundly right now, knowing that they have a job as a starting offensive lineman next year are Elton Jenkins and Zach Tom. And you add into the fact that some of those guys along that line, whether it be Elton Jenkins or specifically Zach Tom, have some positional flexibility to move around, add more linemen, add more competition, and thrive, succeed. Because Jordan Love is going to continue to rip the ball all over the field with a high level of success. These wide receivers, Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, the Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Malik Heath, I can go on and on. They're going to continue to get better and better and even exceed what they did this previous season. So they have the quarterback, they have the offense, they have the weapons. And even if they're missing a Watson or an Aaron Jones or a Musgrave or a couple of guys here and there, they have the depth at all of those positions, maybe outside running back, but I guarantee they're, they're going to address that this off season. 
They have all the weapons that they need. They just need an offensive line. And if they continue to have that great offensive line, they're going to have the ability to punch up to 30 points in any given game. And if their defense can improve, now you're really cooking. So I know that it might on paper be like, they've got five starters. Why are we pumping all of these resources more into the offensive line? Because it's that important right now, especially to Jordan's continued improvement and just his success. Keep protecting that dude and you're going to be in great shape for a very long time. All right, number three, Darnell Savage will be perfect for this new defensive system and Green Bay should go out and re-sign him. That is, I'm going to say fiction, mostly due to the last part. Do I think he's a better fit for this new defense than he was in the Joe Barry defense? Yes, I do. Do I think there could be a level of success that Darnell Savage could reach in this defense that might even be worth bringing him back to some extent? Maybe. Am I ultimately done with the complete and entire Darnell Savage experience? You bet I am. And listen, even going in prior to the 49ers game, after that Dallas game, the big pick six, and the season as a whole, I thought he had a mostly fine season. And that pick six against San Francisco was, or excuse me, against Dallas was amazing. He had a great game, one of the best games of his career. And I said after that game, I'm like, you know what? Maybe he's actually turning the corner a little bit. And maybe I didn't give him some of the credit for the season that he had, because that was a big time play in a big time game from Darnell. And then what happens a week later, he had the worst game of his career and was one of the larger players responsible for a big loss against San Francisco in a game that they had the opportunity to win and potentially continue on with a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Savage was terrible in that game. And that is ultimately the issue. You don't know what you're going to get from Darnell Savage week in and week out. One week, you might get a pick six against Dallas in the playoffs and one of the better games of his career. And then the next week, he will break your heart and play the worst game of his career. And there are far more downs than ups. There are far too many deficiencies in his game from a tackling standpoint, from taking angles to coverage. And no, 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 he is not a slot. He's just not, he's not a good enough cover guy, guys. He's just not a good enough, especially if you're going to play more man-to-man. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. Do I think he can play that box safety role if you're going to play more cover one? I do. I think there's a level to which he can achieve that he could play that better than he probably played anything in the Joe Barry era. Do I? Am I willing to sacrifice the inconsistencies and the flaws in his game to potentially see what that could look like? I'm not. I'm ready to go in a different direction. I'm ready to be done with the experience and I'm ready for a new set of safeties for this Packers defense. Number four, I think this is a favorite of Peter Bukowski, which I will also talk to later this week. At least that's the plan right now. And I'll be able to vet this with him a little bit more, but the Packers should re-sign Keyshawn Nixon and move him to safety. That is also fiction. Listen, Keyshawn Nixon is listed at 5'10", 200, which means he's probably a little bit less than that. He is in the 14th percentile at height for free safety in like the, you know, in math bombs or RA, the, the relative athletic score database. He'd be in the 14th percentile for height at free safety. He's just not big enough as one of them. And you might say, well, there have been safeties who have played at 5'9", 5'10". Yes, it's definitely within the realm of possibility, but he has a 3.03 relative athletic score at that position. His PFF tackling grade this past season was a 49.1. You are now putting him in a more in a larger situation where tackling is going to be even more important. 
He doesn't have great height. He's if, if you're gonna play him, you're not gonna play him as a box safety. He's not the most physical, intimidating guy as a box safety. You're certainly not gonna play him as the last line of defense with his tackling deficiencies. And he's not like all of a sudden you're gonna treat him as a true like single high safety and he's gonna be like a sideline to sideline guy. No, you need a taller, rangier guy and somebody who's a consistent tackler who can be the last line of defense. There is 0.0% chance that Keyshawn Nixon is a legitimate safety in the NFL. He is a corner. He's a number five or six corner with value as a kick returner, punt returner, rare random gadget weapon on offense and special teams guy. And there is a ton of value in a player like that, but you want him as like your break glass in case of emergency corner, number five, number six, Jarrett Bush-esque guy, where if he comes in, you feel solid that he can get you 20, 30 snaps and it's not going to be an abject disaster, but, and also have all of these other things that he can do while he's active on game day. I think there's actually more that you could probably find to do with him if he's not playing 50, 60 snaps of corner or safety every single game. So do I mind if they resign Keyshawn Nixon as a number five, six corner with all those other added values? No, he's got some legitimate superpowers that he can bring to a team. I love it. Bring him back. I like his attitude. I like his style. Like I said, I won't bet against him because I think he's proven a lot of people wrong. Definitely do not believe he's a safety. And to me, that one is fiction. All right, number five, the Packers can still draft a wide receiver early in this draft. I am surprisingly going fact on this one. I get that they have Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Bo Melton, Malik Heath, Samori Toure, Grant DuBose, and technically Thyric Pitts as well on the roster. I don't believe that they are going to draft a wide receiver early. I don't think they probably should use a major resource at wide receiver early but I certainly don't think that they can just take wide receiver and rip it off their board and say, nope, not taking those guys. You draft for talent. You draft for the best player available. And there are a lot of really talented wide receivers in this draft. And if Green Bay looks down at their board and they see just like they saw Jordan Love as the best available player when they took Jordan Love, just like they saw Aaron Rodgers as the best available player when they took Aaron Rodgers, if they look down on their board when they're selecting in the first or second round, Look at what it is. It's a wide receiver. He's the best player available. You take him. This is a talent-driven league. And before you know it, we know the injury issues that Christian Watson has had. Jaden Reed missed some games this year. Dontavian Wicks missed some games this year. And all of a sudden, what you think is like, oh, we have this abundance of wide receivers. It's just a couple soft tissue injuries again. And all of a sudden, you're without your playmakers and it completely changes your offense. You have four wide receivers right now that you are semi-banking on that you know that you are going to play on a week-to-week basis. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, and Dontavian Wicks. Those are the four, all right? Bo Melton, Malik Heath, you feel good about activating on any given Sunday and feeling like they can help the team in some capacity. So you have six. Samori Toure, Grant DuBose, and certainly Thyric Pitts, you're not making any decisions based off of. And Heath and Melton haven't necessarily earned the ultimate, like, well, they're unreplaceable guys. Like, we can't you know, they still have to earn what they're going to do in camp next year if they want to get on the roster even. Now, I think Melton's going to be much better than that. I think he's going to be a player for this team. I really, really do. I think he's a really, really good wide receiver, but they're going to still have to earn that. So as of right now, I would actually argue that you're probably more apt or maybe it might even make more sense to take a wide receiver early because if your decision is like, hey, we got this really great wide receiver in round one or two, and that means we have to move on from Malik Heath. All right. 
if you spend like a fifth round pick or a sixth or a seventh on a wide receiver, at that point, it's like, all right, well, you've got Melton and Heath and Toure and DuBose. Like, do you really need another like random developmental guy? You've got plenty of those guys that are already ingrained in the system. So like almost like the later you get in the draft, it's almost like, yeah, you don't, you probably need a wide receiver even less, but you draft based on talent. I don't think they're going to go that direction. I don't expect them to draft a wide receiver early, but if there's a dude out there and you think he's the best player available and he can help the team, you figure out the rest later because injuries will hit you. You might, maybe you can swing a wide receiver for a different position uh, of need later on and you end up swinging, you know, who knows, you know, maybe you swing Watson or Dobbs or a different wide receiver and you bring in a, a defensive back or something. You figure all that stuff out later, but you get the best player available. And if that's wide receiver, you take it. So you can still draft a wide receiver early in this draft. That is a fact. Number six, Isaiah McDuffie is in for a huge increase in playing time. That could be the case, but I'm going fiction here. I'm not saying just because he has the connection from Boston College, Devondre Campbell might get cut, that all of a sudden Isaiah McDuffie is in for this huge increase in playing time. Again, he might. It's within the realm of possibility, but I think you want to get better at that spot. I think you want your starting linebacker next to Quay to be a big time player, somebody that maybe is going to take a little bit of pressure off of Quay. Do I think that McDuffie could be a third linebacker in some of those three linebacker looks for like 8% of the game? Yeah, I really do. Do I think he's a top level backup linebacker in the league? Yeah, I really think he is. Do I think you can find a role for him on game days on defense? Regardless, I do. I really, really do. But to just all of a sudden assume because he's got this Boston College connection and um, you know just based on the linebacker depth chart right now that Isaiah McDuffie is automatically going to be in line for this major role within the defense? Possible, Yes. But I wouldn't just, you know, take it in Sharpie and put it in right now. I do believe Green Bay is going to get competition and try to improve that position and make it so that it's not just Quay and McDuffie. They've got some other potential options as they go into the season. Number seven, the Packers are not serious about their kicking competition this year. I'm going to say that that is fiction. Right now it is true. Uh, Pavlesny is not a legitimate, true, you know, competition for Anders Carlson right now. But I do believe Green Bay is going to take it seriously. I do believe they will add legitimate competition for Anders Carlson this offseason, either via free agency, the draft, undrafted free agency, whatever it might be. But I do believe there will eventually be legitimate kicking competition for Anders. I don't think it's there yet, but Rome was not built in a day. It takes a little bit of time. I do believe it will get there eventually. And number eight, the Packers can be active in free agency. That is in fact a fact. Now, I've talked about in the past, should they wait until 2025? Should they do it now? I don't think they should have this all-in mentality in 2024. I think that would be foolhardy. But guess what? If you want to go play in the sandbox of free agency and you want to go buy some toys, I'm all for it. This is a really good football team. There are going to be higher expectations. The schedule is going to be tough. And it's going to be a battle to you know, kind of continue this progress that you're on right now. And you might need a couple additional pieces and if you want to go out and spend some money in free agency, guess what? The guys that you're signing are probably going to be on two, three, four-year deals. Probably more three, four, maybe even five-year deals. Get young players. Get players that can help you long-term. Don't go out mercenary shopping. That's the one thing I would not do. Don't go out and get a one-year, $10 million guy that's like a 31-year-old vet. Don't do that. Don't get a mercenary. Go out and get a, you know, a couple big time guys that can help you over the course of the next couple seasons. If you want to mortgage a little bit of the future so you can grab a couple guys like that now and they can continue to develop with this core that you already have, 
be my guest. I think that is a great use of resources. We'll not be upset with it whatsoever. If Green Bay wants to slow play it a little bit more, get off of some of these bad contracts and then go a little bit more crazy in 2025, I'm all for that as well. I think there's a couple different paths that they can take here. But if they want to go out, like I said, play in the sandbox and be a legitimate free agent destination for some of these players, cool. Go have your fun, Brian Gutekinds. You earned it. You deserved it. You put a heck of a core of this team together. And if you want to go out and try to see if you can take this team even higher, like I said, have fun, be my guest. I will not be opposed to that in any way, shape, or form, even if I thought the original target date was 2025. Guess what? Sometimes the goalpost moves and Green Bay successfully did that by a very impressive 2023 season. So fact or fiction, cornerback is not a top priority. That is fiction. The Packers shouldn't select an offensive tackle in the first two rounds. That is fiction. Darnell Savage will be perfect for the new system and the Packers should re-sign him. That is fiction. The Packers should re-sign Keyshawn Nixon and move him to safety. That is fiction. The Packers can draft a wide receiver early in the draft. That is a fact. Isaiah McDuffie is in for a huge increase in playing time. TBD, but for now, I'm just going to say fiction. The Packers are not serious about their kicking competition, also fiction, and the Packers can be active in free agency. That is in fact a fact. That is going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Always appreciate you guys. Shout out to our Hall of Fame and All-Pro members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wayne, John Wild, Shabra Dad, Brandon Paletta, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Donald Lee, Lori Lord, Baby QB, David McCluskey, and Donald Decker. I will see you guys back here tomorrow, but until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go! Thank you.